Welcome to the Behind the Bits podcast. Your host, Scott Curtis, wants to learn everything he can about stand-up comedy and take you along for the ride. Scott and his guests talk serious about comedy in every episode. Behind the Bits will uncover knowledge from different perspectives on subjects such as writing and performing stand-up comedy, as well as booking shows and the comedy life. If you're thinking about becoming a stand-up comic, already in the comic game, or a comedy nerd, Behind the Bits is the show for you. Now, let's get Behind the Bits. Hey, BTB buddies. When I was listening to podcasts to research behind the bits, one of the good ones I found was the Art of Bombing podcast. Dan Bubitz is coming up on four years of hosting the Art of Bombing, which takes a unique perspective on learning about stand-up comedy. Bombing. Of course it's bombing. That's why they call it the Art of Bombing. Instead of Dan talking with his guests about their best moments in stand-up, he talks about their worst. Because we learn a lot more from our bombs than our killer sets... On Art of Bombing, you'll hear some gut-wrenching bombs and find out how each comedian recovered and got better after realizing why they had such a bad show. If you haven't bombed, you will, and The Art of Bombing will prepare you to turn it around to be a positive. You can find The Art of Bombing on all the apps and at artofbombingpod.com. You know what I'm going to say here. It's a good one. Hey, BTB buddies, we're sponsored by Podcorn. If you've ever listened to a big-name podcast, they have a lot of sponsors. The reason why brands choose to advertise on podcasts is that podcast advertising is up to three times more effective than TV, print, or radio advertising. If you're a brand and you checked out advertising on those big-name podcasts, you found out that the cost may be way outside your budget. And if you're a podcast that would like to get some of that ad revenue, you found out that unless you have at least 10,000 listens per episode, advertisers won't even talk to you. Podcorn came about as a solution for advertisers with any budget from a hundred bucks to a million bucks and podcasters with listeners in the hundreds or in the millions. Here's how it works. If you're an advertiser, go to podcorn.com and sign up as an advertiser. You enter in pertinent information about your brand and the message you want podcasts to communicate for you. You can then choose what type of advertising you'd like. You can get a host-read ad, an interview, a topical discussion, or all of the above. Then you can make your sponsorship live and wait for podcasters to give you their pitch. You decide who you want to work with. If you have a podcast, go to podcorn.com and register as a podcast. You'll create a profile with info about your podcast and the people who listen. Then you can start browsing sponsorship opportunities right away. As an advertiser or podcast, you communicate directly about the ad. There is no middle person. This is so easy you wouldn't believe it until you go to Podcorn and sign up. Guess where I got this sponsorship? Podcorn. I'm being paid to read this ad right now, and I'm just a little independent podcast. Check out the show notes for a direct link to Podcorn and sign up today. I know I'm glad I did. My guest is an Australian comedian, host, voiceover artist, keynote speaker, marketing guru, and we're going to find out what else. Tonight, I've got uh, Ben Sorensen with me. Ben, how you doing? G'day. Do you know what? You're, uh, you are accurate with both of them because it is tonight for you, uh-huh. uh, today for me. I'm like uh, two jugs of coffee in. All right. <laughs> 
and I'm drinking whiskey and root beer. So, you know, that's what we're doing. <laughs> root beer is something that really hasn't, well, root beer as you have it over in the States, hasn't really taken off in Australia as such. We have a lot of fake sarsaparilla. Yeah. Uh, but that is, that's very different. Yeah. What's funny, I haven't drank root beer for years and years, and I had one at, we went through the drive-thru of a fast food restaurant and I got one and I forgot how much I liked it. So now I'm getting this diet A&W, which is just, it's a pedestrian root beer. It's not the best thing in the world, but I got to say, it's really good as a mixer too, because it doesn't matter how cheap the whiskey is, it still tastes good in root beer. So I'll take it. <laughs> so uh, overall, that's a, that's a great cost saving. I love yeah. it. I love it. Follow us for more tips. <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad we could help people out with the old root beer and whiskey stuff and hit the subscribe button. First of all, Ben, where are you from? I'm from Melbourne, which is the self-proclaimed coffee capital of Australia. Uh-huh. Uh, every morning. So it's funny. So when I, this, I used to live in a place down the road called Brunswick East, and every morning I used to get up and I could actually use my nose to smell where I'd get coffee for the day because every, I had nine award-winning roasters around me. So you uh-huh. just walk around and go, oh, that smells all right. I'll have a bit of that. <laughs> uh, it, it was literally crazy and like the pinnacle of privilege to yeah. be. Uh, <laughs> that's so much around, around us. And to the point we're in Melbourne, so in the U.S. and a lot of other com- uh, countries, Starbucks is a, is a sign of affluence. Uh-huh. Whereas here in Australia, it's a sign of effluence. Yeah, it's, um, yeah no self-respecting Melbourneian goes to Starbucks unless you like their sugary drinks. Yeah, yeah, and that's about what they do. I See, I'm not a coffee guy, so we, we can't talk a whole lot about coffee. I, I just don't uh, drink it. I buy it when well, my kids are in town. Guy, which is, we can be friends now, so yeah. that's fine. Yeah, I like the smell of it because when my kids are home, we brew it we've got you know a coffee maker and all that kind of stuff and we brew it i love the smell of it i just can't drink it it's i I drink root beer instead so you know espresso martinis i find that's a gateway drug sometimes (laughs) you get to have fancy little glass as well yeah that might be something to check out let's talk about stand-up first so you do so many things but what, when was your first time doing stand-up? How old were you? What was the scenery? What happened? You know what? I think there's two different... I'm a little bit different in that sense. Now, I, I love stand-up, and I still write segments and routines. Mm-hmm. And most of them are actually used when I compare an MC. Okay. So I, I have a bank of all of these that I just draw on. A lot of really witty comedians wittier than i mm. um so that you can just pull it out of the bank like uh joan rivers used to talk about having all these filing cabinets of great routines and great jokes yeah. and the situation would turn up and you'd go oh yeah okay i got one for that <laughs> so that, that's how i work so i started very young i was doing comedy shows when i was like 14 15 oh, wow. so i i started doing like vaudeville so I was doing dinner theaters and stuff like that with variety shows. So I I'd get up and do a piece there and we'd also have skits that we would do and we'd write. So that was a really great start. And I don't, it's really funny because I don't talk about that particularly much. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and then I moved into being or wanting to be a musician, which went okay. terribly, very terribly. Uh-huh. Not just the play, it was just shocking. <laughs> uh, I ended up singing with the Queensland Youth Choir, obviously, in, in Queensland. And I, you know, used to open a few of their shows. And again, great experience in front of an audience. Mm. Uh, and then I jumped across to doing some kids TV stuff, which meant I knew every fart joke in the book. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, and and then it's just, it's really been driven by the live events and the opportunities that come through that. For example, panel shows mm. and all sorts of bits and pieces in, in that realm. This year is the first year though, that I'm actually doing a, oh, running a Melbourne International Comedy Festival venue. We tried last year, but COVID killed it. Mm. So there'll be uh, some more opportunities to, to do stand-up there. And I think M, the Comedy Festival in Melbourne is the second largest in the world next to Edinburgh. So mm. um, I'm really fortunate that's in my own backyard. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's – this isn't on the list of my rapid round questions, but starting oh, as early oh. as you did, have you ever had a fear of – performing in public and you just got over it or have you just been brazen and just go up and do it? I'd call it blissfully ignorant. Okay. Um, Yeah. And part of that is due to, or I've recently discovered is due to my autism. Mm -hmm. Basically when I go on stage, I want to make sure it's funny and entertaining for me. And if everyone else wants to come along, I'm more than happy. Uh So whether I talk to one person, five people, 10 people or 20,000 or more, the process in my brain or the framework in my brain is pretty much the same. So I'm not massively stressed. Okay. That's, I, I talked to another guy that he suffers from a lot of maladies and it's uh, dyslexia, ADHD and OCD and something else. And he can only, had, I'm yeah, sorry. If he had one more, if he had one more, that'd be five. And that's what I call a fist of disability. Yeah. <laughs> But the thing with him is, is he's always in the moment. Now, his problem is he has trouble because he's in the acting world after having been a comic for a long time. He has trouble memorizing stuff. But the thing is, he's 80 years old and he never looks back. He doesn't get nostalgic and say, oh, this is great when I worked on Friends or this is great when I worked on Breaking Bad. Now is what he's working on and he's not thinking about anything else. And he said that all of his disabilities are a blessing and a curse at the same time because it keeps him working and it keeps his mind going. So it's, I think that everything that we have can sometimes be turned around to be something positive. I agree. I think um, part of it is going, okay, what resources do I have that are easily available? It's about knowing yourself and going, how can I do the best that I can with whatever I got? Mm, and. Yep. If you happen to be really good in in living in the moment or living in the now, as Edgar Toll says, then great, go with it. To a certain extent, I, I have to do that too, which is why I love project-based mm. and live events because it's I'm locked in and I have a hyper-focus for the three hours or four hours of the show and then nothing. Yeah. I'm totally forget. <laughs> and then you go on social media and you stalk your own event and you look at the yeah. pictures. And, oh, wow, I remember that. Oh, that's me. <laughs> How did I do? Good. That's great. So Good. let's I talk about your influences. 
Yeah. Let's talk about your um, influences. Who who were your influences alcohol? as far as comedy is concerned? Oh, as far as comedy. Yeah. Okay. I was talking about alcohol as an influence. Um, <laughs> so Me too. Oh, look. Yeah. Comedy influences. Do you know what? I really love Rod Gilbert. Okay. And... Uh, and a lot of the British comedians and British human, like I'm a huge fan of Monty Python. Mm-hmm. And while when you, if you go back and you look at Flying Circus, there's a lot of stuff in there that I just go, oh, I'm not really so sure on now. However, there are some key bits and the concept of the entire show and the concept of that one comedy troupe reinventing different things across decades is just amazing. And we look at their film work, like The Life of Brian and, you know, Holy Grail and things like that. And even just the individual work of John Cleese and the the rest of the Pythons. I just think that's that for me was such a an eye-opening informative moment for me going, wow, these guys are amazing and they're smart and articulate and quick. I also love Billy Connolly. I love the the style that he's developed in uh, long form sto- rambling storytelling, yeah. with interlaced with fascinating and interesting, accurate anecdotes throughout. <laughs> and I think I enjoy comedy that doesn't date yeah. as much. If we look at the work of si- of Seinfeld, both as a series and Jerry Seinfeld as well, mm-hmm. that style that he developed with his stand up, I feel was dated and was stuck in in an era of comedy and i feel like that we've for some people they're timeless and other people they're stuck in a decade there and i'm very much drawn to the timeless stuff which i think is a great way to future proof oneself Mm. i'm glad you talked about monty python because that was my big influence early on and it was on the pbs channel here in south bend and I watched it religiously and my dad and I bonded over that and the Piranha Brothers were always my was always my favorite skit. That was yeah. other ones, the dead parrot and stuff like that are the ones that everybody talks about, but I loved Dinsdale. I loved the the whole Piranha Brothers thing. And the funny thing is it turned out to be something that my son and I bonded over because I the first one of the first movies I wanted him to watch was This is Spinal Tap. And he watched it and he was yeah. probably 12 or 13 at the time. And he said, dad, I don't know what you in this. I hate it. And I'm like, oh no, we're going to be, we're going to be that kind of father and son. We're going to have nothing in common. And then I had him watch the Holy Grail with me, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. And he loved it. He loved it so much that he wanted the DVD and was just totally into Monty Python. So we really bonded on that. And I, and Cleese especially with Faulty Towers and all the stuff that he did after oh, that is just wow, uh, yeah. so prolific. He's a great guy. Have you tried Spinal Tap again now he's older? No, not. He's he, he's down in Alabama. He's a rocket scientist, and he we don't see each other as much as we should, so we haven't revisited that. <laughs> okay. I, I'm just saying that so, sometimes you'll watch something, and it'll be the wrong time for you. It'll be too yeah. early. You don't understand enough about the world or have enough references yeah. to get a lot of the jokes. So when you re- re-listen to stuff, you can get new stuff out of it. And I would just hate for your son to miss out on Spinal Tap. Yeah, I know. And I'll probably send him a note and say, hey, just watch this and tell me what you think. You, you probably don't remember, so just tell me what you think. And uh, yeah, it's neat that to have a bonding moment like that with Monty Python. 
talking about Monty Python. I too bonded with my dad over Monty Python. I don't know if you can see that. Hang on, let's see. It's always look on the bright side of life. Oh, okay. Okay. Or, um, <laughs> so I, I really didn't think that through with my own webcam, but that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. That's, uh, and probably better than every sperm is sacred. Well, yeah, definitely elsewhere, but... <laughs> <laughs> the little sperm's on your arm. That's not going to do much. Yeah, yeah, like my arm. Yeah. <laughs> I well, just found that tattoo was a little hard to swallow, you know? Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> nice pun. One of the things I like to ask everybody, because I'm I'm a big reader and I'm a big podcast listener and just all that kind of stuff, are you consuming any media, reading, watching, listening to music, anything that's uh, really like getting the gears going and getting you inspired? Do you know, look, there's on Amazon, I know it's a, it's a visual thing because we've all been in lockdown for a long time. In Melbourne, we had six months of lockdown. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, it worked really well and we're able to venture outside into the sun again. <laughs> there is a British comedy show on Amazon and it is absolutely wonderful. I didn't actually think I'd like it as much as I do. And it's uh, called something like the, the show where everything goes wrong. Oh, and okay. it's. A masterfully written and designed uh, slapstick show in front of a live audience mm-hmm. that they produce, and it is it's from a comedy point of view. I don't think we, as comedians, explore some of the physical theatre side of things, mm-hmm. and to see such a concentration of slapstick comedy in one piece in conjunction with a lot of witty puns and a lot of great one-liners. Uh-huh. I think that's been a panto style, but it's really great. So I've been consuming that, and that sort of gets gets me going and gets me thinking of things differently. Mm. I think when you're, when you're a comic and constantly doing stand-up, it's sometimes really hard to try and get that edge or think of things differently or going, what am I going to talk about next? Because there's heaps of comics that talk about, oh, I'm married now or relationships or kids or whatever. Mm-hmm. To explore different things and to pull inspiration from that, I think, can create a richness in routines. Right. One of the things I, before we go off live here, I wanted to ask, have you been to the States very often? Yes, there is. I remember my first show in the States. It was in Nashville on a little place on Broadway called The Second Fiddle. And I was invited over there as a guest of CMA because I was up for an award of some sort. So anyway, off the plane and I thought I was staying in uh, Vanderbilt at the Holiday Inn down there. Mm -hmm. Lovely place. Went for a wander around, got lost just before my show, turned up a little bit sweaty and all over the place. (laughs) had what I I was going to do in my head and thought, oh, yeah, fine. Turned up, turns out they were live streaming it to three different countries. And I went, oh, okay, cool. That would have been nice to know before. <laughs> um, jumped on the tour bus out the front to get changed and organise myself. I didn't even know there was going to be a tour bus. Did the show and bombed. Oh. Terrible, <laughs> terrible show. And everybody's got one of those stories. And I've just gone, no. Yeah. <laughs> I thought I was being really funny, but totally different style of comedy for the Americans. Yeah. And, and that's exactly where I was going with my question oh. is the difference because I've talked to quite a few British comics and there's a 
there's there's some pretty big differences because they're a lot more subtle. All the European comics are a lot more subtle, and the but they're but American comics and British comics can translate to each other in a lot of cases, as long as you change up the words for a convenience store and a cigarette and stuff like that. So as long as you change up the words, they, they're more interchangeable, but I've been watching some Australian TV and it seems like you guys have different timing, different sensibility, and it's, it's just a little bit different. Can you, have you been able to put a pin on that to see what that's all about? I think Australian and Canadian humor interchanges beautifully with British humor. Okay. So smooth transition, not a huge issue. I've done I've done gigs in, you know, both of those places and not an issue. However, I find the the style and you know what it just could be and my outsider's view of American humor and American comedy. You guys got a this roast flavor going through everything. Yeah. So it's got a bit of an edge, uh, more of a, more of an edge to it, less subtlety. Mm-hmm. And the, it's more socially appropriate to roast you in jest in the States than it is in any other country. Mm-hmm. I can and see it that. Doesn't matter, and it doesn't matter if you're a celebrity or just Joe on the street, that's a green light in the States. You can do that. Mm. Whereas, if I, if I randomly roasted someone in Australia, they'd go, oh, you know, he's a bit of a dick. Like, really? Are you doing that? <laughs> However, if they heckle, heckling is consent. Yeah. So, <laughs> all around the world, heckling's consent. If you want to yell out at a show, good luck. Good luck. You're on your own. <laughs> no refunds. Yeah. <laughs> oh. So, uh, so yeah, I think I think that's it. So I think my my crude interpretation of comedy in the states, there's two. I feel like there's two two sides to it. One is uh, hyper polite and really great, like a and very clean. The other side is more of a darker roast. Or you could probably compare it to coffee, even a darker roast where you can go to town and rip shreds off people, and everyone's going to go, oh, they're just words. It's fine, and right. I'll cry later. I totally agree with that. There are total, it's, there's extremes in the United States. It really is. It's either super clean, nothing is going to be said that's going to offend anybody, or it is, let's get into the weeds and call everybody cunts. It's just, it's, it, yeah, it's just the, it, it's amazing. I word. In Australia, we use it as punctuation. Yeah. <laughs> I, w- I wish we could use it more here in the U.S. It's uh, one of my favorite words. <laughs> it's a verb. It's a noun. It's an adverb. You can do anything with it. It's the evolution of fuck. Yeah. <laughs> no doubt. That's good. We've talked about Australian versus USA comedy, and I th- feel like I've given my viewers enough. Uh, you're, they're going to have to tune into the podcast, which is behind the bits and easy to find on all the podcast apps if they want to hear the rest. We're going to go right now, and bye-bye. All right, that's over. Okay, cool. So one of the... <laughs> 
I don't like to. I, I don't really. I really don't like to go live, but it's one of the things that you have to do to get in people's minds. So it's it's my little earworm. But I can get rid of that guy too because that bugs me too. I wanted to talk about everything you're into because when I go to your website, your resume is huge. So what are the primary things that you are doing right now? It sounds like I do a lot. I don't. I call it full utilization of asset. Basically, I say to encompass everything, brain for hire. Mm. (laughs) If you want me to use my magic Aspie brain power to make you laugh, great. Send me some money. Uh. If you want me to grow your business and double your income, great. Send me some money. Actually, Uh. basically, send me some money. That's that's pretty much it. (laughs) But it's... I need to do a lot of things to keep my brain active. I'm a little bit smarter than the average bear, Mm -hmm. and it's important for me to keep exercising and challenging this so that I can stay fresh in all the different areas. But essentially, there's two different parts. There's the entertainment side, which is me hosting stuff and doing comedy festival shows and emceeing and doing voiceovers and TV and stuff as a personality. If you look at a personality, they'll do a large gauntlet of things. Mm -hmm. Uh, as opposed to being a th- an actor or a thespian of some sort mm. um, that will mainly focus on TV, film, right. or uh, acting on the boards. The other side is actually using my brain and utilising some of the skills that I've learned, not only in comedy, but also in my life for growing, growing businesses and solving problems, which I love. Mm. And that's the marketing strategy, the media distribution stuff, media buying, and doing a lot of that sort of stuff to engineer things for different businesses with different goals. And part of that is advertising. You take a really batshit boring business and you go, oh, great. Mm. How can I make people laugh and engage and remember that business how can i solve their problems internally with people that are doing the same thing day in day out and make it vibrant and exciting for them how can i inspire passion in someone's business Mm. and that's very much the same as stand-up how can i inspire laughter and passion and attention and interest with the audience that's sitting in front of me Mm. so we use a variety of techniques to do that as both as comics and as marketers and advertising people. And I think that's, we talk about American comedy being about extremes. And for me, that's trying to use all of the different faculties of my brain together to make sure that I can get, you know, really great outcomes for whoever and whatever I do. Mm -hmm. So let's think about, the, the reason why I'm going into this is because everybody wants to be the next Jerry Seinfeld. You mentioned Jerry, and everybody wants to be the next Richard Pryor, George Carlin, whatever. They want to Bill Burr. They want to be, they want to be a big comic. But in reality, it's a very small percentage of people who actually get there. And if you want to talk realistically, you want to discover how you can make a living with your art and make a living with your brain. And instead of working in a factory or like me being a consultant and just 
not enjoying my job at all. So it's, it's, it's funny you say not enjoying your job at all. That's actually one of, I think there's a couple of key things that I find with comedians. Number one, they have to be doing something for most of their time. They absolutely hate. Yeah. And they also have to be inherently broken somehow. Yes. (laughs) I've talked about that a lot. Yeah. yeah, If you pick both of those boxes, Hey, you are well on your way to success. Yeah. (laughs) Or an early death, whatever. Yeah. But the thing is, is people with a comedy brain also are usually, like yourself, a little bit more intelligent than the average bear. They, which, is why, which is why we all struggle socially, be pretty low out there. Yeah, and they, they see things, they're able to look at things from the outside because they're always thinking of a bit, and, and just all that thing is going on in their brain. But what I want to tell the, the young comedians at large, that if you're good at comedy, you can translate that into something else. I've talked to people who have been screenwriters, they've gone into promotional type businesses, they've gone into a lot of things that are sometimes a little bit more behind the scenes, but still, you're still using that same brain and you're still working for yourself. That, and I think that's important for young people to understand. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And I think the biggest thing that I wish someone had to tell me earlier is there's all this external stuff when you want to be a stand-up or you want to be the next Jerry Seinfeld and you want to be the best. You don't have to be the best. There's plenty of people that are better than me. Yeah. Plenty of people that are worse, but <laughs> it doesn't matter because there is only so much I can do. Uh And all I need to do is get to know who I am, how I operate, and then link that to how can I make a sustainable living? And when we talk about sustainable living, it's not about getting high on coke and working as long as you can to (laughs) do more gigs and grow. When I talk about wealth, I talk about financial wealth, and I also talk about like time freedom and having uh, quality of life as well. And I think that's really important to encompass that in your wealth. Yeah, it's always good to strive to be better. I was lucky enough to spend a little bit of time ages ago with Edward de Bono, who pioneered the concept of lateral thinking. Mm. And he's got this great line called, and it's good, but not good enough. So how Mm. can we be good, but constantly looking for ways for us to tweak it and to be better? So when we look at, our careers, and I think we should all have a career plan and go, okay, I'm going to do X number of shows. And I feel like my goal is I can do two shows a week and still do my day job, or I can do four shows a week. And this is my day job. And this is how I'm going to grow and bolt on to this. So I think as a non-celebrity comedian, it's a lot more work. You have to be a lot more creative, but you're in charge of your own ship. Mm. You can control how many gigs you do. You can control where you do it. And even though it sounds like I do a lot, it's important to look at what you're actually good at and what you can deliver on. Mm. So if someone goes, oh, I need this, we're all very tempted to go, yeah, I reckon I could have a crack at that. As opposed to going, that's not my core. This is not my core business. If the... I don't know if the if a religious group said, "Can you come and open our conference for us? We'll pay you X amount of dollars and hail Marys." 
I would be tempted to go, oh, the money, that's good. But I know that is 180% not a match. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and it would be fun for me. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it would be a match. So there's other people that are really great at that. So that's where community comes in as well. And if we all look at what we're good at and what our core is through discovery and knowing who we are, mm -hmm. then we're able to, number one, not compete, which I know you Americans love, not compete with each other as much, but understand the nuances between each of our styles. Mm -hmm. So I might, I might go, hey, I've got this really great um, gig. Hey, maybe you might want to try comedian XYZ. I know they're religious friendly or they've got a great kids show that they do. And it's mm -hmm. really funny. Or, Oh, you're at that rough pub where people stab each other for a beer. Great. <laughs> I've got a guy that will fit right in. Yeah. <laughs> or a middle of the road medical conference. Oh, Ben, Ben, he's really good at that. And he can say good words. Yeah. And building a network like that always comes back to you positively. And it, yep. One one of the things I've learned, and I, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but you should always continue giving, even though you don't feel like you're getting as much back, because the continued giving is going to come back to you sooner or later. And it's not necessarily going to be from the people who you gave to. It's going to be somebody else. It's like the old adage, the uh, harder you work, the luckier you get. And being able to give that guy the job at the at the nasty pub that gives you cred and you need the cred to keep networking and build new relationships so i totally dig that yeah. and you know what i talk about networking a lot but i actually think that i'm not particularly good at it mm -hmm. and largely with my comedy and my work i've run my own race and done stuff pretty much on my own and i've been really fortunate and lucky that i've been able to do that mm -hmm. Whereas everyone else or a lot of other people are doing open mic nights to start out and doing support acts and stuff like that. I bypassed all of that. I didn't do any of that. Mm. Uh, I was very fortunate that I had my own events company and I've got all my own lighting, all my own audio. I've got a range of venues that I do. I've got my own comedy festival venue. Like I'm super fortunate. Mm -hmm. And part of that is because I never felt really confident or good at networking. So I ended up just doing everything myself. Mm -hmm. Guaranteed way. I find that interesting because one of the things I want to talk to you about is you are pretty much the product that you are selling. And for one of the, one of the first things I wanted to ask you is you're in the voiceover work. Have you always been have you always talked as succinctly and voiceover-ish as you do now, or is that something you developed? It happened after puberty. Okay. <laughs> um, that's helpful. Yeah. And despite all the threats, no one has castrated me yet. Yeah. Although I reckon that'd be a great tobacco pouch, just saying. Anyway, I think I've, look, I did a lot of voice work early on. So as in not... Uh, speech therapist stuff, but as in I was a, a classically trained bass. Mm -hmm. And I think that was a little bit helpful. And I think one of the, th one of the things particularly with voiceover is tone. Mm -hmm. And I feel like tone, and I could be wrong, this is just my anecdotal experience. I feel like tone is something you either have or you don't. Mm -hmm. And you can massage around the edge but 
and you can and you can be better at it and you can train your voice and you can do a lot of work at it but the core tone i think is it's either there or it's not but then also having said that i'm just very fortunate that my tone falls within the gauntlet of what we have a lot of voiceover work for there's a heap of voiceover work for all sorts of different people for all sorts of different reasons Mm. It's a very, it's a terribly competitive industry all over the world. Mm. And I think that there's a few different paths to getting into that. But again, a lot of people look at voiceover work as going, oh, I'll just do that as an add-on for some extra bucks. Totally not. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to be 150% committed to it more than your comedy to do it and do it well. Yeah. Otherwise, if you land a big client... And you go, no, I'm just talking in the mic. It's not hard. And there's nine people in a studio. You've got a, from the agency, the client, mm. and you're in the you're in the little toss box there with a the window. And you can see them whispering and talking. And you might spend two, two hours on a 30-second ad. Yeah. And at the end of it, they'll go, this guy's shit. Uh-huh. And then the agency will go, okay, cool. Thanks yeah. for your time. Here's, here's your money. And I'll never use you again. Yeah. And you've literally burnt those bridges. Yeah. So part of it is going, I either want to do this properly or not at all. Mm. And part of the problem with voiceovers, and I suppose it's in a similar sense, part of the problem with comedy as well, is there's a lot of people that aren't passionate about it, but don't take it seriously. So we get 20% of the industry that's full of really switched on operators at all different levels. And 80% that's just, uh, background noise going, oh, I had a voiceover gig and I didn't really want to do it, so I stayed in bed. Or, yeah. you know, I don't really have the skills and they said I was bad, so I don't like them anymore. Yeah. Know? As opposed to using it as an opportunity for growth or to be really switched on with it. Right. So yeah. it's attitude yeah. and talent put together. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And absolutely skill. There's been times where I did a, especially when we look at voice acting, so a lot of times now I'll just get a script through and then I'll be doing five, I'll, I'll read the script and because I'm not with the other actors, I've got nothing to bounce off. So most of the things, that you, or a lot of the things that you hear where there's multiple voices, they've never met each other. Yeah, It's just a script that comes through and then you do that. And there's like animation and stuff like that. I'll do five six seven ten different versions of every single line with different inflections and different tones and different timings yeah just to really help the editors to get that right because the last thing i want is anything coming back yeah yeah (laughs) that's death yeah no doubt yeah. It's funny, I'm experiencing a little bit of this uh, simply because the podcast is starting to get some sponsors and I'm doing self-read ads yeah. for these sponsors. And I Would reading... Because you like, you're doing that as a personality. Yeah, and I'm reading what I have written. And it's still hard. I have taken 100 takes on a one-minute ad. And part of it's because I know I'm... A, perfectionist and i want it to come out but part of it is i just totally fuck it up 99 out of 100 times <laughs> and it, it's definitely a skill just like reading auto cue so when i do a lot of presenting stuff i'm getting probably getting a little bit lazy these days because i have such great auto cue skills mm. i just throw 
factory on auto cue now. Yeah. And it's a it's a it's absolutely a skill that I need and use regularly, but it's exactly the same. It's separating your your eyes and your mouth and mm. going, okay, well, I'm gonna read three ahead, but still be mentally behind yeah. to try and manage it all. And then it's also the same thing if you're presenting, you've got auto cue happening. And you've also got your director or producer gas bagging in your ear about what's coming up next or problems or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> There's and and also that's part of why I love doing it. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's about working out where you want to be and focusing on that. Mm. So when we look at science, when we look at like physics, Einstein wrote some stuff about it. Actually, Einstein wrote a lot of stuff, but it was talking about you've got X amount of energy. So the, the faster you move forward, meaning the, the momentum you've got forward means you've got less capacity to move left and right. Mm. So if we look at how do we, if we relate that back to what we're talking about, how do we look at our careers? Do we spend $5,000 building a studio to do voiceover work that we don't really have the skills or passion for, but think we might be able to make some quick bucks Mm. or do we put $5,000 into doing that comedy class or doing that national tour or doing something that will enrich what we do or how we produce our content to be better at that core thing. Mm. It's okay to have different things. Like I do a lot of things, but I've consciously gone and developed skills in those areas and I have training in those areas. And if, and I've learned that's what works for me. And there's probably some people out there that will work for as well. Mm. But ultimately, make sure you have your focus because we've got limited time and limited resources. Yeah, no doubt. And what, speaking of promotion, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about is the way you promote yourself. So I stalked you on all the social medias and stuff like that. And you you've got huge followings everywhere you're at. So Facebook, Instagram, from TikTok, like yeah. seriously, yeah. I I don't, I don't, I don't have a cat. Yeah, you know, what am I, do? I don't dance. Yeah, yeah. TikTok's a strange one. I, I I've actually tried to do a character on there, and and I finally gave up. I just I can't do it anymore. It's a conspiracy theorist, dude. But yeah, it's not anything that I can maintains but from an australian point of view an american conspiracy theorist wow yeah. that's a <laughs> <laughs> doing it as a fake comedy skit is a great idea yeah there's plenty of real ones yeah i i've done it live plenty of times and it's a lot of fun but it's actually hilarious. scripting it and and going that way I, I i don't think i have the energy for it but who knows maybe but talking about your following you've obviously worked hard to get that following and let's talk about how we met so we're on this group that people get matched up with podcasts and you reached out to me to do the podcast and one of the things that comedians are really okay they're either really good at promoting themselves and not so good at the comedy or they're really good at the comedy and not so good at promoting themselves and it's hard to find that happy medium but when I looked at your webpage, you had been on, I don't know how many podcasts in the last year, just tons and tons of podcasts. And because you put yourself out there 
and you also are pretty, you're pretty consistent with your social media and stuff like that. So what got you to the point of having all of the followers that you have now? So there's a couple of tricks and a couple of, of things that I think we should talk about as well. Having a plan, working out who you are is what we talked about mm-hmm. from a creative point of view. Um, that also works for the back end as well and the business side of it. I think it's really important to work out what your strengths are as far as what that is and outsource. Mm-hmm. That's a really big thing as well. I have an aptitude for a range of different things. If you don't have that aptitude, which I totally understand, I outsource some a whole heap of stuff that I'm not good at. Mm. There is no shame in going, hey, I'm not really good at PR. I'm going to go out and just pay someone who's really passionate about PR as I am about comedy. Mm-hmm. Great. Might cost you 20 grand a year or more to find the right person, but you'll get way better results out of that than having a crack and doing it yourself. Mm-hmm. And it's all about actions. How do I get the actions I require to get the results I want? Mm-hmm. And I've had this chat with some musicians that I work with. They can, you can do your own, you can do your own PR and marketing or you can do your own whatever and you can learn the skills that you want to, if you want to. Mm. However, it's that cost benefit thing. Am I better off doing a couple of extra shifts at work to earn that 20 grand a year to pay the PR person? Or am I going to spend three years doing a PR degree mm. or a degree and then still have to do it myself? And if the PR works, I won't have time to do my own PR. Mm. I did breakfast radio for a couple of years and I had a lot of, in Australia, and I had a lot of radio segments. My connection with podcasters and radio people is pretty good. Mm. And I really love anecdotally just laughing and telling the stories and mucking around with people and Mm. doing stuff like that. So that works really well. But there's also nothing wrong with politely reaching out and going, hey, this is what I do. I really love your work. I've checked it out and I'd, I'd love to get your opinion to see if I would be a fit for your show. Mm-hmm. And that's the big thing is about respecting that it's not your show and you don't owe me anything right. at all. Yep. You know, you're just trying to create the best content you can to grow your brand and your show. Mm-hmm. And it's not about me. It's not about you. It's about your show. It's about the product. Mm. And that's the biggest thing uh, that I could probably share with anyone is only pitch the things that you think you're going to be a really good fit for. Mm. This whole scattergun approach thing doesn't work. Now, look, I've been on a lot of podcasts and I love them. Mm. Absolutely love them. And I get to meet so many amazing presenters doing some really wonderful content. Mm. But... I'm very careful with who I pitch to mm-hmm. because I make sure it's going to be like a fit of some sort. Right. Like on my website, there's two main categories. There's ones where I talk about the intellectual stuff and autism and then mm-hmm. ones that are just comedy and two very different sections, mm-hmm. but both appeal to the same audience. Yep. So when we're reaching out, it's not just podcasts, it's about media outlets. It's about other comedians as well to get on the bill for their uh, their stand-up show or variety show or whatever. Mm. 
it's about going, what do I think I will be a fit for? Yeah. So how can I take some of the decision-making responsibility off you and help you out by making it an easy yes? Yeah. And that's exactly what you did with me. It, it was very, it was a very easy yes. And I probably wouldn't have found you if you hadn't reached out. Yeah. And that, so from sales and a business point of view, how we all do marketing and advertising and all sorts of work like that within our own business. Yeah. And we go, oh, here's the number. Call the number if you want to buy something. Mm-hmm. How often does someone actually call? Yeah. Never. <laughs> yeah. Never. <laughs> so... Why do we put so much hope and energy into that? People are going to call once they're engaged and once they're on board with your plan and once it's a a value match Mm -hmm. or a mutual match of some sort. There's got to be connection of some sort. So a lot of times as marketers and as business people and as entertainers, it's up to us to reach out Mm. to make that connection. And you get a lot of no's. You're absolutely going to get a lot of no's in the early days. Yes. Until you start refining and going, no, I know I'm a fit with this. I'm not a fit with that. That didn't go so well. This went well. And I think that's the important thing. Also, I know my target market. Mm -hmm. I've spent the last four years touring around Australia doing shows. And I've also done, you know, a couple in the States and some in the island and some Germany and Mm -hmm. all over. But essentially, Australia is my target market. Mm -hmm. I can get my humour. Thankfully, there's only 25 million of them, so it's a bit easier to market to them (laughs) and a bit easier to pop around and say g'day. Part of that is doing those face-to-face shows and getting out there. I've been very fortunate that I've been at some, hosting some rather large events. And also, at the same time, I've also booked in a heap smaller events and all sorts of different stuff while I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. So that enables me to one-on-one, see what they laugh at, see what they like. And also through the volume of people that I see, it enables me to weed out the ones that don't match or don't think I'm that funny or don't what I do. Mm. Find those that go, yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah, Yeah, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you're always going to have a problem growing if your audience is too small. Mm. If you're not in front of enough people. So if you only talk to 10 people a month, then you need 100% of those people to come on board to get some decent numbers. Yeah. And even then you're still not going to do it. Mm. However, if you're talking to 10,000 people a month and 50 of them come on board, you know, that's still yeah. still pretty good. Yeah. And then you start honing your process and going, well, okay, we've got 50 that time. Yeah. What do those 50 have in common? Mm-hmm. How can I expand that to 75 or 100 or 200? Yeah. And then you start to build momentum and getting better at at Mm -hmm. what you do. And part of getting better at what you do is simply by doing it. Yes. And the funny thing is I have somebody like you who messages me to be on the podcast. And I do a side project. It's a wacky talk show that I do on Thursdays. And I use a Facebook group, a private Facebook group to book people. And I have invited, I think, probably 140 people to that group. And it's a a range of podcasters and uh, comedians and just people who I think would be a good fit for the show. 
And I always put, every week I put a bulletin up and say, hey, I need three people for the show next Thursday. And I very rarely get three people to respond. And yet if I go to them individually and ask them, they'll say, yeah, I've been waiting for you to ask me. And I'm like, I, you, you're here. <laughs> you're That's here. Why you're in the group. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, crazy. But that's just how some people are. And we work we work in comedy. Mm. So we know through our lived experience that a lot of comedians have a lot of issues, particularly the funny ones. Mm. And that's just what it is. So I've been aware of that and aware of what I'm doing to try and go, okay, how can I how can I make it easier for you? And not everyone's going to do that. We can give this information to an industry and still people are going to go, yeah, I know that. Mm. Yeah, but you're not doing it. So, you know, the best sort of, as a market, as a strategist, the best sort of strategy is the one you actually use. Yes. And I think that's the really tough thing with all of this is to balance who we are as people and what we do mm. and then try to work out a way that we can sustainably get into it and do what we need to be successful. Yeah. And a lot of people are out here doing comedy is self-sabotaging and quite happily yeah. <laughs> not doing it and then whinging about it. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so maybe the first piece of advice, and this has been the best thing that I've ever done in my life, ever, to the point where it's actually continued my life a lot longer than I actually thought I'd be here for. Go get yourself a great therapist. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you said before, uh, it, my entire life is me and my brand. That's my thing, mm. says my wife falling over. <laughs> um, that's literally my thing. So why would I not want to look after that? I've got a whole list of reasons. And that's why I see a therapist. But yeah. that's a really big thing. Yeah. Why are you self-sabotaging? And we are our own brand. I'm a huge advocate of not just functional mental health, but thriving mental health. Mm -hmm. And I'm not there yet, but I believe in the dream. Yeah. And as long as you're working towards that, then you're always moving forward instead of stagnating. Totally. Yeah. One of the best things I got for my studio was a whiteboard, and I use it for so many different things. I use it for... Yeah working out bits, trying trying to put an, a solid hour together. And then I also do, you know, what am I doing well for the podcast? What am I not doing so well and things I yeah. need to work on? And it's really nice because with cell phones now, you can just take a picture of it and then you can pop it up whenever you want. So that's one, yeah. one of the tools that I got that I really enjoy and I use quite a bit. It's funny, I've got a whiteboard too, because this is my studio here. Mm. And I use it mainly just for drawing dicks. Yeah. <laughs> You must be pretty yeah. good at it now, huh? <laughs> Everyone's got a gift, you know? Yeah. So I like <laughs> oh, that's great. So just to, there's a couple things I like to ask everybody. What would you say is the best and worst advice you ever got? You need therapy and you need therapy. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the, quite seriously, the best advice that I ever got was so important and it works across all different industries. 
and it's a really great recipe for success. And every time I tell this, I tell it in the same way that it was told to me. Uh-huh. So this is a piece of golden advice. So if you're listening or watching, get out pen and paper. Make sure your pen works because you're going to want to write this down. This is <laughs> going to change your world. So get your line. Get a whole blank page. Yeah. You want to center it and frame it and put it on your wall forever. Okay, this is the key. This is the answer. It's not forty-two. This is the real answer. So this is the best piece of advice I've ever got. Don't be shit. <laughs> Don't be shit. That's yeah. good. Yeah. Yeah. And we think about, oh, I want to be the best. I want to be this. I want to be that. When really the bar is only as high as the previous previous highest person. Yep. So economics teaches about teaches us about the point of diminishing return. And we don't have to kill ourselves striving to be the world's best at anything. We just have to not be shit. Mm-hmm. And we have to deliver on what we're expected to do and then polish that turd nicely yeah. so that it floats to the top. <laughs> I love that. When I used yeah. to do, when I first started doing open mics, I, my wife would come with me quite a bit. And the only question I'd ask her after the end of the night, was I the worst? And that as long as I'm not the worst, I know I'm moving forward and I'm better than the last guy on the totem pole. And also, that's very kind of you because that's less of a lie for your wife. <laughs> Am I, was I funny? Was I the best? Yeah. Sure, honey. Yeah. Right. Was I the worst? No, you weren't. Yeah. One guy sucked harder. Yeah. <laughs> That's an easy answer. So, you know, it's a very kind and compassionate thing that you've done there. Yeah. Love yeah. That. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I, one of the oh, other yeah. things, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I was just, just going to say the worst piece of advice I ever got was to buy Ansett shares. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At the company that folded. But yeah. anyway. <laughs> That's never good advice. Um, no. Yeah. My my son actually bought some Bitcoin when it was like seven bucks, and he sold it when it was, I think he was in college, and he was really proud of himself that he sold it when it was like 750 And now look at it. And it went up to 20000 Yeah. <laughs> Which is when I bought it. And yeah. then after that, it went all the way back down. So the other, the the last thing I'd like to ask is what three things do you know now that you wish you would have known when you started in the business? Ego is (laughs) dangerous. And I still battle with that. Not only my own, but other people's understanding that I'm running my race and it's easy to get caught up with keeping up with the Joneses or yeah other people doing better than me, but I just need to be happy for them because they're doing well yeah. and also look after me and what I want because we all want different things in this world and that's yeah. okay. Yeah. And the third one, most stresses and problems in life can actually be fixed with a fuck ton of money. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I believe and that. Yeah, and a lot of struggles that some people have 
can easily be fixed with money. Yeah. So the lesson is, how can I try to find a way to ethically earn that money to make some of those problems go away? Yeah. Yeah. You know, we even look at our governments that put fines on things, which mean which fines doesn't mean something's illegal. It just means it's legal for a price. Yeah. So <laughs> how do you fix that problem? <laughs> yeah. 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 It's important to, and I'm not saying fixate on money. I don't idolize money at all. And it, it's a fine, it's a nuanced thing. Mm-hmm. Money enables freedom. And I like freedom. Yeah. I'm I'm not a bazillionaire by any stretch of the imagination, mm. but it's more about having healthy attitudes towards money and understanding it's a tool. And I think that's the third piece of advice that I really wish I had have known earlier yeah. is money and ego get caught together quite a lot. And yeah. our definition of success is a lot of times related to money, mm. as in cash money, not what money buys or the freedom that money buys. And if you take ego out of money, I don't need the latest Ferrari. Mm. You know, I don't even need the latest car. You know, mm-hmm. I would only buy something like that to show off to other people. I have a car that's fine. It works. I have a house that I like. I have stuff in it that I like. I don't need to have the biggest TV or the biggest house or to go on the most lavish holiday. Mm. I just do me yeah. and I only have to do things that I like. Yeah. And to understand and differentiate between what I like and what society thinks I should like or what peer pressure thinks I should like or what I'm showing off to, you know, make me look bigger or better. Mm. It's about differentiating that. And if you want to do it, cool, but make it a conscious choice, not mm. an unconscious one. Yeah. That's a fantastic perspective. And looking back at what you really want and what it takes to get there is all you need. You don't, all the other stuff is just, like you said, it's ego, it's keeping up with the Joneses. It's all the, it's all the things that really end up tearing you down because you're not putting that thought and that time into something productive that can get to what you want. Yep. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, that makes total sense. I got to say, Ben, this has been an excellent talk. I'm really glad you reached out. And I I'm really, pleased you said yes. Yeah. I really hope that people take some of the things you said to heart because really you're the captain of your, your own ship as far as comedy goes or wherever you're going to take your comedy mind and put that. And you really having a plan and putting all your effort into that plan is the way you're going to get to where you want to be. So that that was a good affirmation on something I already know, but everybody else needs to know too. And there's nothing wrong with, so it takes a disproportionate amount of motivation and support to be successful in anything. Mm. So even though you and I both already know a chunk of what I've already said, what I said, it's really great to hear it in a different way yeah, with a different spin on it yeah. at a different time, yeah. at a different headspace. Yeah. Because as a group and as an industry, we need to look after and support each other as kindly as we can because yeah. it is really hard out there. Yeah. And if artists can't look after artists, who can? Mm-hmm. It's funny. This goes all the way back to when you talked about Spinal Tap, my son watching Spinal Tap. You, sometimes you need to hear something at the right time. 
it other times it may just not click with you and i've so i'm rewatching star wars i watched the first star wars and hated it in 77 and so i never watched any more star wars and then i decided i've got a friend that is a podcaster and he's a big star wars fan and i said hey what if i watch all the star wars and i report into you as a podcast and we talk about if i still hate star wars or not and you give me shit if i don't and you give me kudos if i like it and so i'm doing that and the funny thing is it's not that bad so i'm on one that's not so good right now and i can't talk about it because it's all for the podcast but yeah the first three that were released i actually i'm okay with them but yeah it's i, I still think they're the best three i'm just putting it out yeah <laughs> well based on the so, one i'm watching right now yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah most of yeah i'm um, I think it'd be funny if you did your Star Wars report on your mate's podcast in Klingon. Yeah. (laughs) Totally give him an eye twitch. Yeah. (laughs) That's funny because I am a bit of a Trekkie, just the original stuff. I've never watched any of the others, but I do the original Star Trek and the movies. Yeah. Yeah, Star Trek's something that I don't mind dipping in and out of. Uh-huh. And that's what I like about it. So we, we've it's on free to air TV here, and it's just it's comforting. It's nice, and it's all over. I think it's I don't know if it's Amazon or Netflix or whatever it is out here, but it's got a heap of it on there, and I, it's just nice to dip in and out of. Yeah, it's a wonderful, friendly universe, and there's enough content there for you just to keep wandering around and being immersed in it. Yeah. This is totally off topic, but are you like a fanboy of any Marvel universe or anything? Do you just totally get in and know every detail of something or are you just casual? I'm a cross between the two only because the last four or five years, part of my touring around Australia has been with uh, the Australian version of Comic-Cons. Okay. Yeah. So you get to know them. Yeah. So there's a lot of times where I've just gone, I've got a, I'm doing a interview, a one-on-one interview with someone from the Marvel universe that's in this film. So I better go watch the film again. Yeah. Or there was a couple of people from Harry Potter that came out. I quite like Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but you'd go and rewatch them. So through <laughs> rewatching a heap of stuff and being part of those communities, you do, you pick up a lot of stuff. And, yeah. Uh, I find it really interesting and I like the idea of not putting pressure on myself to know every detail about every film Yeah, because then it becomes a stress and that's not why I watch films. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm totally the same way. There's only been two shows that I've, and one movie that I've just been bonkers over and that's Twin Peaks and X-Files. Those two I've watched oh, through multiple God. times. Yeah. And then the movie Cool Hand Luke, which is, it's an old Paul Newman movie, and I watched mm. that probably 12 times. Those are the only things I I really get into, and it seems like comics in general are just really super fans of something, like Star Wars, Dungeons & Dragons, Marvel Universe, DC Universe. They're, they tend to latch onto that, and meanwhile, I'm like, I watch some of them. I don't watch all of them. Yeah. And I enjoy the ones I watch. But if you start talking about Easter eggs and all the continuity and stuff like that, I don't know. I'm just, I I just want to be entertained for a couple hours. That's why I like Lord of the Rings as well. I like the, I like the scenery and the screenshots. It looks pretty on the big screen. I like the music. Like the wizardy things are cool. Yeah. And 
Uh, do I know everything about him? No, not really. Have I read other Tol- Tolkien books? Well, I bought them, but I haven't read them yet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's just, it's my escape, and we can all escape however we damn well want. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's great. So Ben, where can people find you if they want to see where you're at and what you're doing? You everything is on bensorensen1.com because some other bastard took Ben Sorensen. Bensorensen1.com is the website and like I said Brain for Hire really happy to collaborate and work with people and share the energy because I think that's really great particularly if we're in different countries. I think that's really awesome as well because mm. we both learn so much. Social everything is Ben Sorensen1 keep it nice and simple mm. so reach out say hi like my stuff send me money yeah whatever i've really enjoyed what i've seen that you've put out and i'm really glad you reached out because it was a great talk i think i learned some stuff well and i you know, look i did too i am just very blessed and uh fortunate that you created such a wonderful space to talk about comedy yeah thank and you Specifically, the back end of comedy, mm. which there's not so many honest podcasts about that or honest content about that. A lot of it is the front end. Go, hey, be funny, dance monkey. But <laughs> um, this it, it's actually really nice. And comparing notes as peers, I really love it. Thanks. I appreciate that. I may use that as a sound bite. So just FYI, <laughs> I get a lot oh, of people. I get, get a lot of people who say they really enjoyed the podcast, and it's after. I've stopped recording. <laughs> All the good stuff always happens yeah. afterwards. <laughs> so you got it while the button was still pushed, so I appreciate that. <laughs> Thanks a lot, Ben. It's been great having you. And everybody, check out bensorensen1.com, and that's all of his socials, too. He's got a lot of followers, and the reason why is because he puts out good content. So check it out, folks. Thanks for being on, Ben. Absolute pleasure. Can't to do it again, if you'll have me. Oh, will do.